Hi, my name's Ryan Perry. I'm the pastor at Seneca Baptist Church, and we are so thankful that you're joining us in this online resource. Our prayer for you is that this resource would not replace your active involvement in a local body of Christ, but would rather be supplemental to it. If you are interested in getting further connected to the ministry of Seneca Baptist Church or to giving financially, please visit our website, SenecaBaptist.org. Thank you and enjoy. Definitely live. <laughs> All right. I'm Brad and uh, Ryan is a good friend and if we do go back a little ways is this too loud okay good to be with you i am delighted to be here um, somebody said it's good to see you when i walked in i said my age now it's good to be seen anytime i get on an airplane tomorrow and head to uganda and would tremendously appreciate your prayers. We'll be gone about two weeks, and uh, a big portion of what we'll be doing is training pastors there. Um, when I first committed to this trip a couple of months ago, I was told there would be 500 pastors coming for training. Uh, about a month ago, I was told that number had risen to 750. I was told a couple of days ago it's right around 1,000 now. And uh, that's the main conference we'll do. We're doing four outlying pastor conferences for those that can't come to where we will be. And then in addition to that, we'll have some opportunity to go into villages and do hut-to-hut evangelism. So we'd tremendously appreciate your prayers. Uh, you can be a part of this trip through your prayers. Uh, I also brought along a few copies of a book entitled Donkey Tales, uh, I'm the donkey, and it's, uh, you know, my story uh, of West Africa and uh, the church that I was serving, um, what God enabled us to do um, in Mali, a Muslim uh, community that had never heard the gospel. God planted a church there, and it overflowed. That's where Ryan first went with me to West Africa, and uh, these books are sitting in the box over on the front on my left, your right, and what I ask in exchange for them is a donation of at least $10 and uh, whatever else you would want to give to the trip. I don't make any change, so um, sorry about that. I, I just don't have it to, to give. I have what's in the box, and that's all that there is. I was in a church a few weeks ago, about half this size, and uh, they all wiped me out real quick and said, you have any more? And I said, no, uh, but uh, those are there. Hopefully you received, as you were coming in this morning, a little card like this. It says yes on it. You'll need that later in the service, and if you didn't get one, there are a few still up here on the front you can get when the time is right. And I'm just going to tell you on the front end, uh, I'm going to challenge you to make a decision today, missionally, and uh, I believe everybody sitting in this room will make a decision. And you say, well, that's kind of bold. Well, let me put it this way. You'll either say yes or 
you'll say no. But either way, to decide not to decide, you would agree that that is a decision, right? This is yes. This is no. Okay. I want to begin with a little story that I think kind of sets the mood, and then we'll dive into this text that uh, has been read from Romans chapter 10. And if you have your Bible, I hope you'll hold it open there. Chapter 10, we'll be working through those verses in just a little bit. I want to tell you about a man who had a cat named Albert. Now, he was particularly fond of that cat. He loved him with all of his heart and uh, was just extremely special. Now, this man lived with his mother and his brother. And the day came when he was going to have to go on a business trip. And so he came to his brother and he, he said, I've got to go out of town. And you know how much I love Albert, my cat. I need you to take good care of him. And I'm going to entrust him to your care, and I will call every day and ask about how he is doing. Uh, so the man left on his trip, and the first day he was gone, he called back home. His brother, uh, John, answered the phone, and uh, Charlie, who was out of town, said, How's Albert? And uh, his brother said, Well, I'm sorry to tell you, he's dead. Well, Charlie was beside himself. He, he just loved that cat. He was grief-stricken. And after he finally was able to speak again, he said to his brother, how could you be so insensitive to just blurt that out like that? You know how much I loved Albert. So his brother said, well, what would you have had me to say? He said, well, what if you had, when I called, said something like this? You know, the front door opened, Albert ran out, climbed up on the roof. But don't worry, we have called the fire department. They're on the way. I'm sure everything's going to be fine. I'll tell you tomorrow when you call how it worked out. And then when I call back, you, you could have said, well, I've got some more bad news. Before the fire department got here, Albert jumped off the roof, suffered all kinds of injuries, but don't worry, we have carried him to the best veterinarian in the state. And even as we speak right now, he's undergoing surgery. Then when I call back the next day, you could have said, well, things aren't going so well. Albert's in a coma. We're all praying. You call tomorrow, I'll update you again. And then when I called back again, you could have said, well, we did everything we could. Albert didn't make it. He said, now, you see how much more sensitive that is? His brother said, yeah, I, I understand. And so Charlie, who was on the trip, said, by the way, how's mom? He said, well, she's on the roof. <laughs> we, we like things to kind of come you know, in uh, palatable ways, in ways that don't just catch us all by surprise. But I'm just going to tell you this morning, I'm just going to kind of blurt it out. I'm going to ask you to make a commitment to the mission of Christ to say yes. 
And I'm telling you that on the front end. I don't want it to be a surprise in just a little bit. Uh, but I, I want you to be very prayerful about what God might be saying to you. Some years ago, I was in Mali, West Africa. Uh, we, we were in a village that was Muslim in name. Underneath that Muslim exterior was deep traditional African religious uh, belief structure. As far as we knew, the gospel had not been to this village before. The missionary carried us out there, and, and we were uh, blessed to be a part of that partnership. But we had been there for a little while. We'd, the chief had given us land. We had built a, a mud hut, had two rooms in it. We used it primarily to store things and to change clothes, except outdoors most of the time, in, in mosquito tents. In front of the hut was a, a, a straw-thatched roof, uh, you would just call it front porch. Uh, and on one end, we had a wooden table that had a little gas stove on it that we used to help cook breakfast. The rest of the meals we cooked over a charcoal fire. And, and we had made a pot of coffee, and I was pouring my coffee one morning, and I noticed sitting on that table a, a can that was two or three inches tall, about an inch and a half or so in diameter. It was red in color. And on the side of the can, it said, baking powder. Now, I'm not much of a cook, certainly not a chef, but, but I know what baking powder's for. You know, I know you make biscuits or uh, cakes or other kinds of things. You use it. Um, we hadn't had any of that to eat, so I was somewhat surprised to see that can sitting there. So I picked it up, took the top off of it, looked inside, and, and, and the stuff inside was black. And I thought, that didn't look like baking powder to me. You know, I put a little bit in my hand, tasted it. Well, it was black pepper. And I thought, well, that's interesting. You know, my preacher brain started working on an illustration. And so I looked at Anna, who was our African cook that we would carry out to the village, and I said, Anna, can I borrow this? And she said, of course. And when we had the men in the village that were believers gather for Bible study that day, I held up the can. I said, what is this? Now, they couldn't read English, and most of them couldn't read anything, but they had bought this in the, village, in the marketplace that would come to the village every Friday, so they, they all said, it's bacon powder. I said, are you sure? They said, yes. I said, put your hand out. And I went around and put a little bit in everybody's hand. And they looked at the color and thought that was odd. And then they did what I did. They tasted a little bit. And they kind of chuckled and said, no, 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 no. This is black powder. Pepper. And I, I, I said, now, here's what I want you to see. The label doesn't ensure what the contents are. Says uh, bacon powder, but it's black pepper. We put signs outside of buildings and we called them churches. The sign's a label, but what's the content? There was a man by the name of Emil Brunner who was a Swiss theologian in the previous century, and he, he made this statement. Let me just read what he said The church exists by mission just as a fire exists by burning where there's no mission there's no church and where there's neither church nor mission there is no faith 
So we might call it a church, but what would God call it? What would Jesus say about it? Does the label match the content? Now we talk about missions, and I guess we use that in reference to multiple trips or whatever, but there's ultimately a mission that the church has. And I don't assume that we always understand what that is. I had a small church over Spartanburg that uh, asked me to fill in and preach a couple times, and then they wanted me to come be their pastor, they said. And so we sat down with the pastor search committee, and, and they said, we're prepared to make you an offer. And I said, really? I said, what do you know about me? And they said, nothing. I said, well, don't you think we ought to get acquainted first? I said, uh, let me just tell you who I am, and we talked about that. They still seem to be on board. I said, do you have some questions you want to ask me? And they said, we don't have any questions. And I said, well, I have a list. And as I worked through some of those things, one of those questions is, tell me what you think about Acts 1-8. Well, they said, well, remind us what it says. I said, it says, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and ends of the earth. They said, well, we believe it because it's in the Bible, but we don't know what it means. And then one of the guys spoke up and said, what does it mean, power of the Holy Spirit? Is that about speaking in tongues? He said, because I don't believe in that. And the more we talked, the more it became clear they, they, they needed help, but it wasn't likely going to be me because by the time we were through talking, I... I knew they weren't still going to make an offer. Just because we hang a sign out doesn't necessarily guarantee we are who God calls. Now, I don't say that for Seneca Baptist Church. I know Ryan, your pastor, and some of your members, and I'm confident that you guys are on mission. But I just want to remind us of some things today. We've read the Scripture Let me zero in on just a couple of verses. It says in verse 13, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how will they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? And how will they preach unless they are sent? Join me in prayer. Father, please speak to our hearts. Please Do something that we can't explain and it can only be by your Holy Spirit's presence with us that we can account for what takes place. Lord, we want to hear from you. And I pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. There is in this text... Paul's heart, if you go back to the beginning of the chapter, for his fellow countrymen, the Israelis, the Jewish people, he he said, my heart's desire is that they might be saved. Now, in the early chapters of Romans, he's described that, that what God requires is righteousness, and he's made it clear we don't have it. He says there's none righteous, not even one. But then he goes on to tell us that Jesus Christ has provided the righteousness that we need and that by faith we can access that, that God will credit the righteousness of Christ to us that we might be 
saved. And, and, and he, he starts out this chapter and he, he says, now my people, the Jewish people, they have a great zeal for God, but they think they're going to work their way to God, that they're going to get there based on their own righteousness. And what they fail to understand is that God's righteousness requires perfection and that you have to be 100% right all the time. You have to do everything right, never do anything wrong. You know, like James said, if you fail at one point of the law, you're guilty of it all. And he said, and so instead of accepting the righteousness God has offered through Christ, they have demonstrated that their zeal is without knowledge. Now, he's laid all of that out. And then he says, there's neither Greek nor Jew in God's eyes, neither Jew nor Gentile. We're all the same before God. And whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, let me just suggest to you on the uh, beginning here that this is an incredible, amazing promise. Think about that. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Is there a better promise in the Scripture? Look at it. It, it, it is an all-inclusive offer. He says, whoever, doesn't matter whether you're Jew or Gentile, doesn't matter whether you're rich or poor, or black or white or red or polka dot, it, it, it just doesn't make any difference whoever calls on the name of the lord and it doesn't say might it says will be saved now again this is yes and this is no that's an incredible promise isn't it yes but notice there is an absolutely inescapable obligation whoever calls on the name of the Lord. The scriptures tell us there's one name under heaven given among men whereby we might be saved, the name of Jesus. Pretty amazing name, isn't it? I mean, this Jesus, he, he, he's the Alpha and Omega, he's the beginning and the end, the first and the last, the creator of all things. All things have been made by him. He's the light of the world. He's the Lamb of God. He's the Lion of the tribe of Judah. The Bible says he's the great shepherd. He's the uh, he's the great high priest. He's the Holy One. He is, in fact, the Lord. He is God. It says He's the Word made flesh, 100% God, 100% man. And, 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 it, and it says there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we might be saved except that name, Jesus. Anybody can be saved. But all come the same way. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's what the Word of God says. It's an amazing promise with an inescapable obligation. We have to call on the name of the Lord. There's an amazing, inevitable outcome when we do. It says, we'll be saved. I've had the privilege, and that's what it is. It's a privilege to be a part of what God's doing in different parts of the world. I've seen some incredible things. We were in Delhi, India, working in the slum area, sharing the gospel in, in a group that went from South Carolina Baptist Convention, and we saw within about five days working in these slums, God plant 13 churches. And I saw an elderly man 
in his 70s who prayed to receive Christ who was lame in one of his legs and we prayed and he got up and walked. I was in Kenya in Nairobi, outside of Nairobi at a conference center with missionaries that work in sub-Sahara Africa and there was a missionary from Tanzania that shared the story of uh, a man named Mudai who was a, um, a Muslim who'd come to Christ and become an evangelist. He'd gone out into the bush, been preaching, came back, collapsed in his house and died. They put him in a casket, wrapped him up kind of mummy style, put him in a casket. They were carrying him to bury him and he opened his eyes inside this box and began to shake and they dropped the box and it burst open and he said, I just thought I was asleep. But God said, get up, I'm not through. I could tell you a lot more of those kinds of stories and some of you will say, I don't know whether I believe that or not. Well, that's just what I saw. Those are incredible things. But nothing comes close to the incredible result of calling on the name of the Lord that we might have our name written in his book of life and that when we die be eternally present with him in heaven. We, we're saved from the punishment our sin deserves. We're saved from the presence of guilt and shame that our sin declares over us. And then we're ultimately saved from the power of sin to control us and we're delivered in a way that we can live a different kind of life. There is an incredibly amazing promise here. I want you to notice secondly today in this passage there's also what I'm going to call an infinitely awful problem. Look what it says. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, but how will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how will they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? Now, you, you would agree with me that people are not going to call on somebody to save them if they don't believe in that person, right? He says, yes. And, and they're not going to be able to believe in that person to call on them if they've never heard of him, right? You know, I, I, I was blown away by this just about two weeks ago. I was on our International Mission Board website looking for some really good news. And then the first thing that just greeted me said 59%. It's more than half. 59%. Listen to this. 59% of the population of our world have little or no access to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yeah, that's, that's a big number. Our world population is about 8 billion. You know, that means that, that Almost 5 billion will die tonight or tomorrow or next year or whenever their time comes. And unless something unusual happens between now and then, they will have never heard the name of Jesus. That, that's 66,000 people every day, 26 million per year who die. 
You know, what, one of the things that's more, more amazing to me than the fact that 59% haven't yet heard the gospel is that 94% of our world population, 94%, that's more than 59, right? By a lot. 94% of our world population have seen and recognized the red and white logo of Coca-Cola. Are you telling me that Coca-Cola has done a better job evangelizing the world with their product than we have as the church with the gospel of Jesus Christ? How will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how will they believe in him of whom they have never heard? It was 2008. We started working in Mali in 2007. And in 2008... I was at my computer in Hopkins, South Carolina, looking at the screen and opened an email from a missionary in Mali, and he, he sent me a picture of two men who were believers in the church that had trusted Christ when we first went into that village. And they had their shirts off because they'd been out working in the fields. And I just began to weep because their skin was draped across their body, their bone just like they were a skeleton with skin. When I composed myself, I picked up my phone and I called and I said, Steve, what are we going to do about this? And he said, we're going to partner with Baptist Global Response and we're going to feed uh, 60 villages, 32,000 people, and I need you to put a team together of about 10 people. And so we went. And we went to two locations and we were distributing millet which is their primary staple that they eat and as they would come to pick up the food we had to be careful now you you can share the gospel in that context and every person will say yeah i trust jesus because they think that's what's necessary in order to get the food so we, we wanted to be really really cautious we were sharing what I call gospel light. And so basically I would say something along the lines of this food is a gift from Christians in America who heard you were hungry. And if you have uh, not really heard about Jesus, here are some guys in this village that have trusted Christ and they can tell you what it means to be a follower of Christ and a Christian. And we go through all of this and in, in every case, because contracts over there are verbal and the more people that witness the contract, the more powerful it is. And so in every case, when the village would come to get their food, there would be a chief or elders or even the Muslim leader, the imam, someone that would come and get the food. And every single time when they'd come pick up the food, and we wouldn't give it to them until they all were there, but every time after sharing that little gospel light, someone from that village, the chief, one of the elders, the Muslim imam, somebody would come up to me and, and say, thank you for this food we would have died. And by the way, we've never heard that name Jesus before. All of a sudden, Romans 10 came alive. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, but how will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how will they believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how will they hear? And by the way, this word preacher means proclaimer. It's not somebody who stands in the pulpit in the church as the pastor. This is someone who announces and proclaims good news.
I want to ask you this question. Do any of these people, these 59% that have never heard the gospel, do they have any reason for hope that if they hold on long enough, somebody will get there in time with good news? Do they have any hope based on you and me? Any hope based on your prayer life? Any hope based on your financial giving? Any hope based on your willingness to go? One last thing in this text. There's immediately available provision. It tells us faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And it says here how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings. My good friend Tom Elliff, who served as president of our International Mission Board for a while, lives in Oklahoma City now. Tom Elliff used to preach and he'd say, you know, good news. He said, in order for it to be news, it has to be reported. And in order for it to be good, it has to get there in time. It was on the second trip I ever went to the village in Mali. And between our first trip and six weeks later when we went back on the second trip, they had had a baptism service in the village and in an adjacent village. Some had come and said, we heard you have good news. We want to hear it. And they had shared it. And there had been some believers in an adjacent, uh, 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 some men in an adjacent city that became followers of Christ. And so we were going to go visit in that village. We had a truck sitting where we were going to build our mud hut. And the Africans wanted us to drive the truck, but we knew that if we drove that truck and then we asked them to go make evangelistic calls in adjacent villages when we weren't there, they might say something like, when we get a truck, like you've got a truck, we'll go. So we wanted to show them we were willing to walk. The village was about three miles away. It was extremely hot. And as this big conversation breaks out, among the Africans, and I didn't speak their language, and so I asked the translator, I said, what's the conversation? And he said, well, don't get your feelings hurt, but they don't think you can make it. And I said, well, what are my options? He said, what do you mean? I said, well, maybe I could ride in a donkey cart. And, and I was just not prepared for the five or six African men that were standing there to be rolling in the dirt, literally laughing at my comment. And I looked at our translator, Steve, and I said, what's so cotton-picking funny? He said, they said, you're bigger than the donkey. <laughs> Donkeys are very prevalent in Africa. I remember the first night when we'd gone into this village and, and Ten men had expressed interest in becoming believers and followed us back to the mayor's uh, guest house, a, a cement slab with a mud hut over it, um, where we were staying. And how after we had found out that nine of them did become believers and we'd passed out Bibles to one or two that could actually read, and 
we, we'd done a little bit of follow-up, and we were getting ready for bed. I climbed inside my sleeping bag, and it must have been 90 degrees outside, and it's a nylon sleeping bag, but I didn't want to catch malaria, so I zipped it all the way up, and I'm inside sweating like crazy and not able to go to sleep because I'm excited about what's just happened, and it's hot, and then the most awful sound I've ever heard. You ever heard a donkey bray in the middle of the night? Golly, Pete donkeys and that took me back in my mind to college days i was visiting a friend at mars hill college and i was going to audit his classes that day and we were in that big community shower you know getting ready for the morning and my friend terry says brad all i can say is i guess if god could use balaam's donkey he probably can use you and you know what he does it's not about our ability it's about our availability see listen everybody in this room every single one of you can pray missionally our international mission board our north american mission board our association our churches we have incredible resources that enable us to pray for people groups around the world and for our missionaries and for those who go we we can all pray most of you can give you can financially support the work of missions i you know my wife and i like mexican food we learned to like it in texas and it took a little while for south carolina to catch up but now there are lots of mexican restaurants and uh, we used to could go eat there relatively inexpensively. We've noticed for the two of us just to get a dinner, and she likes a soft drink, and I get water, and she wants a side of queso and all that. But you know, the, the meal comes out about $35, and by the time you add a tip, you yeah, 40 bucks. What if a meal like that we gave up weekly and gave that money to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering? What would that be in a year? What would that matter? Think about it. We, we can all pray. Most of us can give. And let me say to you, many can go. The eldest person I took with me to Molly was 79. She came to me and she said, Pastor, I'm not going to sit where I've been sitting anymore. Oh, I said, what do you mean? She said, God just keeps talking to me. I said, well, what's he saying? She's saying, he's saying, go to Molly. And I looked at her in my head, I'm thinking, I'm not sure you can make it. I said, go talk to your doctor and see what he says. She called me and said, he said he can go. And she said, oh, by the way, and this is, you know, a little sensitive, but she said, I, I, I have a medical problem. I said, what's that? She said, I have irritable bowel syndrome. I said, well, do you realize you're going to be using a squatty potty, which in the villages of West Africa is a little hole in the ground. And uh, she went. What amazed me the most was she went another time. And God used her. Youngest person I ever took was 13. I was walking out of the church. He was sitting in his car waiting on his parents. The window was rolled down, and I walked by. He said, Preacher, I want to go to Africa. He wasn't prepared for my answer. I said, Okay. I said, Talk to your mom and dad. Y'all come see me. But let me just tell you, you have to have a mission. You can't just go over there. It's not a pleasure trip. And so he and his mom and dad came and sat in my office, 
And here's what he said. 13 years old, he said, I know they play soccer all the time over there in the village. He said, I'll play soccer with the children and tell them Bible stories and I'll reach kids you can't reach. And I said, you're in, buddy. He went several times. God's called him. He went to North Greenville. He's got a call of God on his life to some form of service. We can all pray. Most can give. Many can go. That's not my job today to tell you what God wants you to do. Here's what I'm asking you this morning. Will you say yes to God and then let him put your life on the map? I don't care whether you're 13 or 79 or 80 or beyond. I'm 71. I'm going tomorrow. Missions is not about geography. Sometimes it's across the street. Sometimes it's just across the room. It may be somewhere else in the world, but would you say yes? Would you lay your yes on the altar? I stole that from Ed Stetzer a few years ago. He was in Nigeria preaching to a bunch of college students, about seven, 8,000 college students under a big tent. And it's the first time I ever used that. And almost everybody responded, and I was blown away. And I still get emails from some of these students saying, Preacher Brad, I put my yes on the altar. I'm still letting God put it on the map. You have a card. It says yes. I've asked you to just place your name on it. And I'm going to ask you in a minute to get up and come and lay it here, these steps as an altar. You're really laying it on the altar of the Christ. And what you, here's what you're doing. You're saying, Jesus, I surrender my life to you. You tell me what to do next. Will you say yes? Lord, I put my yes on your altar. And I'll wait for you. Show me next. Join me in prayer. Father, what could you do through us if we were fully surrendered? Lord, if we just, just took a blank sheet of paper and signed our name to it and said, God, fill it in. But, but so often we want to read the fine print. We want to know all the details. And, and Lord, I just pray we might trust in you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I pray that you would do something new and fresh in Seneca Baptist Church that would change this world, that would change this town, this community, the state, our world. God, lead us to say yes. Now, heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Maybe you're here. and Maybe you're one of those who heard the words, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Maybe today that's the decision you need to make, to, to come to Christ, to trust him as Savior and Lord. I'm going to ask the youth pastor to come and be here at the front in case someone needs to make public some decision other than the card but if you if you'll take that card and put your name on it you really mean it don't do it if you don't mean it god's watching to come lay it on the altar 
and say, God, I, I surrender afresh and anew. You may have done it before, but would you renew it today? Father, this is your decision time, your invitation time. As we begin to sing, as the music begins to play, I pray we'll say yes in Jesus' name. Amen.